We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm not dead. What? Nothing. Here's your nine puts. I'm not dead. Here. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. He isn't. Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no. German? Forget it. He's rolling. And it ain't over now. Because when the going gets tough... Get going! Who's with me? Let's go! Come on! Hey! This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Football bloody hell, I think is what they say. How how does anybody survive as a football supporter? How do you, how do you do it? How do you do it? I mean, we were certain it was over. Now we're certain it's back on. I'm sure we will be certain of several other things um, as the weeks and months roll on, but I am certain that we just experienced one of the great football days in club history, and it may lead to greater days ahead. Um, If you could ask me how I'd want to beat Aston Villa, a 94th-minute screamer that goes in off of Emmy Martinez's head is certainly, certainly up there as an option. And then to watch Manchester City... Drop points to Nottingham Forest in the way they did. Just a stunning thing, except it's not stunning. Because on the instant reaction, Paul said, and I quote, when it was at 1-0, at 1-0, could see this being a little weird, 80-85th minute, sometime around there, Nottingham Forest, get one, make it 1-1. 84th minute, they tied it up 1-1 and got the draw. So if you need the lottery numbers, Paul is your man. I will tell you that we are going to have a lot of fun with this. We'll obviously dive into the tactical components of it like we always do. Maybe we'll take the piss a little bit because that's part of the fun. But we are 
top of the league, say we are top of the league once again, rightfully so, and I cannot even begin to imagine how this is going to lift a, a group that needed lifting, let's say it, needed lifting. And I, I think it is just fitting that the winning goal is scored essentially not just by Emmy Martinez's head, but by the one signing we united as a fan base in supporting. The one that we were we were all unified in our agreement that it was the one that was going to put us over the edge. So we'll talk about that much more with Paul. You can find him on Twitter, pause my pants, so pause. Woohoo! Do you have the lottery numbers for us? <laughs> I do not. That was my one-off. Uh, all other you predictions. You greedy are bastard! Just, You're going to keep the lottery numbers to yourself. You can't split it among the tens of thousands of us listening right now. Come on! I man. don't believe in gambling, Elliot. Mm. Um, and uh, Tim's on Twitter. <laughs> Tim's on Twitter at Stillmanator. Uh, hello, Tim. Hello there. Yeah, and uh, we do want to send our love to Clive. Not here now, was on the instant reaction, uh, did a, a, a brilliant job with that. We'll be back with uh, a second half rewatch of the match this week and plenty more to go along with that. So, um, yeah, we certainly wish Clive the best at the moment. Now, I think, Tim, I kind of want to start just with the joy of it. I, I will get into yeah. the, the how it played out and Trissard starting and you know, what was wrong in the first half, what was right in the second half. But like, I just want to get into all the little nooks and crannies of, of Arteta making fun of the referee <laughs> and the celebrations and you were in the away end. So on the joy scale, and you've, you've experienced a lot of joy in the away end, mm. how high up is this? And, when, and why did it feel as massive as it did? Yeah, it, it was very, very high up. I mean, just on a on a personal um, point as well, I, I went with my wife. It was the first time we'd been able to go to a game together since our daughter was born. Um, we managed to it's leave her with... Yeah, yeah. I've uh, got a sister who lives um, near Villa Park, so we left we left our daughter with her for the afternoon. Um, and, and we went together, and so that was, that was all very nice. It didn't feel like it was going to be nice for a little while. Um, but... Yeah, and one of the other things about Villa Park in particular, they moved the away end there about 15 years ago. It used to be, so the the goal where we scored the winner, it used to be behind that goal, but they moved mm -hmm. us off to the side about 15 years ago. And one of the, the kind of great things about it is that, like there's particularly in the lower tier, there's a proper bundle and usually people end up on the pitch um, and, and not just at Arsenal, like any team that wins at Villa, that that happens, players run over to that corner, and there's like there's just a massive, massive pile on. So, mm. um, there, there, and, and obviously that happened um, in abundance on this occasion. But I just think there were so many ingredients, like you know, being in a funk, having a really bad first half, going behind twice, and everyone sitting there going. Do you know what? It, it reminded me of so many games. It reminded me quite a lot. There was a game when we won the league in 2002. We went to Everton and Sylvain Wiltor scored the winner with the most hilariously mishit volley in the world. <laughs> and and I just remember the the limbs, as the kids say, uh, after that went in. <laughs> and and but do you know what? It it kind of reminded. I, I don't think it's quite this significant, but it reminded me a lot of that Liverpool game in the unbeaten season, where half time two one down. We've gone 1-0 down and we equalise and you think, ah, here we go. And then we go 2-1 down and it's 2-1 at half time and we're in a funk and you're talking to everyone at half time and everyone's going, this could be free fall. Like, mm -hmm. we, we can't even draw here. Like, e even a draw is not really enough to 
like we need to kill the bad feeling that's what we need to do here we don't just need the points we're we're heading towards slump town and we need we need to make a very very sharp like 180 like donut in the road to get off it and so there were all those ingredients, all that relief that Erdegaard missed before the end where you think, oh my God, is that it? Is that going to be it? Is that going to be the moment where it, it all fell away from us? And then the fact that it happens eventually in the 94th minute, the manner in which it happens, going in off Emmy Martinez's head after all of his time wasting and stuff, it was all in front of us. It was all down our end and just all of the ingredients were were just there and the joy of it. And look, I, I think, I tweeted this afterwards, I think the manner of this is just as important as the points themselves because yep. it, like, talk about killing the bad feeling, it killed the bad feeling. It was like, um, you know, like the, the clouds were gathering above us and we just mm-hmm. needed it to rain. And you know, you know, when you just need that rain to clear the air, and that's that's what it did, um, I think. And so, I think honestly, this is even better than if we'd have just gone to Villa, played reasonably well, and won two nil. I think we needed this adrenaline burst. Yeah, look, let's be clear about something. If you are trailing in the second half and you need to come back and win, there is only one man you can call on. And we were very fortunate to be able to call on him. And the fact that he was there for us on that day, I don't think it can be overstated. Unai Emery, thank you. Thank you for your ability to throw away leads in a second half, to find a way to be absolutely battered in the second half of games with a lead. It was like he was playing Watford only instead of Watford, he was playing Arsenal. It's really funny as well how he, he complained about that afterwards, about they're wasting too much time, they sat back too much. And I was like, that's what your teams always do, though. So clearly something's not getting through. But I, I just wanted to add a bit, actually, as well, just just as a kind of... Is it of, about his vest? Because I, I, we could do a whole episode about that. I mean... That, that really reminded me of the, the Simpsons episode where Mr. Burns has the gorilla chest... And he sings that brilliant song, <laughs> See My Vest. Um, but like we I think we got a corner just before the end. And like I kind of right because you know the it was over at our side. And I, I went to raise my hand just as a kind of come on. And I realized I was shaking uncontrollably. Like that's how much of a release it was when we scored. Like the couple of minutes before we scored. I was in. I realised I was totally involuntarily shaking. That's how I felt, and I think that's how everyone else felt. Yeah, I mean, I- incredible stuff. And and I also have to love. I, I think it's a true quote. You see things on the internet that are apocryphal at times, and so I I, I think this is right though. I think Emery basically said, "I have no idea where em- why Emmy Martinez went up for that corner." Like keepers never score from there. Does <laughs> so I love that. Like Martinez, just totally playing for himself right? Like just totally playing for himself. It goes in off the back of his head. And then he decides to go up for the corner when his manager doesn't want him to. I loved everything about it. I love Martinelli celebrating before the goal. I said this on the instant reaction, but I think it bears repeating. Let's rustle some people. Let's get some people massively rustled. Let's not be the friendly neighborhood arsenal who just wants everybody to like us because we're young and we're up and coming. Let's be the bastards. Let's be the villains. Let's be the ones who know we're going to score. Yeah, go ahead. Even the data analysts, the nerds, the nerds were were at it. It was (laughs) brilliant. Like I want footage of that. 
<laughs> Let me explain. Apparently, there was a falling out among the analysts, the team analysts in the, I guess, by the press box where they sit because the Arsenal uh, analysts were celebrating and they got into a scuffle with the Villa analysts. Um, as I understand it, pocket protectors were torn. It was it was gruesome scenes. But yeah, I want that. I don't know if you saw this. When Martinelli is sent free by Vieira, Vieira goes down on one knee and fist pumps and starts celebrating. And uh, <laughs> kudos to Paul for pointing this out. Uh, after Jorginho's goal goes in, Vieira and Martinelli go off and celebrate with just each other. When Martinelli scores, he swerves the whole team and just goes and finds Vieira. Like, they're their little bromance going on. I love it. Um, and, oh, my gosh, the, the, the like man the pile. school trip. You know, there's, wait, there's always a couple of uh, kids who are, like, really into hanging out with each other, and they're just having their own school trip together. They're just like, the whole tail end of that game is Vieira and Martinelli having their little bromance. It's, uh, yeah, it's beautiful. I love Arteta doing the staying alive hand spin to mock the referee for the ball. <laughs> the ball wasn't stopped. The ball, and, and it's funny because I fa- I was mocking the ref in my living room and, and then they cut to Mikel and he's mocking and we're going to have some great gifts of Mikel mocking referees this season. This one replaces the crossed arms, chin to the sky, kind of walk away one that he did earlier. There, There's just so many little moments like that. And Paul, the, the pile of humanity in the celebration, one of my favorite moments in the pile of humanity from the Jorginho goal is Saliba jumping on top of them with his tongue out at the end, but I think realizing, oh, I'm really quite big and heavy. So he goes to jump on them, but then kind of like makes sure he doesn't put all his weight on them because he's actually an enormous human being. But is, tell me if I'm leaning too much into narrative here. It felt like the joy had gone out. Like some of the smiles weren't there that... You know, the the huddles after goals, the roars after we go behind, the that the seriousness of it had seriousness of it had sunk in. And even though the team had done a great job saying we go one game at a time all season long, it stopped feeling to me like they were doing that. It felt to me like they knew they were in a title race and and that weight was on them. And so to see yeah. the silly celebration and the exuberance and the joy, like, am I leaning into narrative or do you think they needed this not just obviously for the points? but because it might return a little of the lightness and joy that has been a hallmark of how we have taken it one game at a time, you know, throughout the whole season prior to this little slump. Sure. I mean, like we thought the city game was basically game set and match for the league. If we won it now, I know it wasn't and anything can happen, but, but how would we have felt if we'd beat city and got those three points and pushed further? And they went into that game obviously thinking it was kind of a sort of a final it's not a final final but like that that just sets up your run in at that point and and so they of course they put everything into that and that's why they looked crushed at the end tim talk about this this bit when you in in general when you lose you've a tendency to lose separately like people go into their own little corners they blame themselves. They blame others. It's like you're trying to fix it so that never happens to you again. When you win, you win together. And so, yeah, we came out of that City game look potentially looking a little fractured. Uh, the, the bad thing was within 72 hours, we had another game. The good thing was in 72 hours and 45 minutes, we finally showed up for the start yeah. of the second half. Arteta said uh, it was quite – he was on fire, I would say, in the post-match press – uh, presser it's really quite interesting it's short but it's kind of bullet point after bullet point of little gems you just want to write down he starts off with it was a roller coaster which i like hmm. um but he says at halftime we said 
we need to raise our game as individuals. We need to look each other in the face. We have to do much more. Okay, uh, depending on how that's said, that's either very stirring or rather bland. And then he says, you have to do it, and the moment is now. Now, that's all very basic stuff. I could have said that, and they would have ignored me and thought, why doesn't he give them some tactical innovation so, and some stirring fair. words? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but somehow, Arteta is saying that that's the, that's the thing he crystallized for him, and we di- really didn't kind of show up in the first half. It was tired. It was static. It was like, and in the second half, it was far from the minute go. They knew this was 45 minutes to get their season back on track. And the end of it, you have Alan Shearer saying, like, we thought we'd lost the team, the supporters. We thought we'd lost the pundits, the pundits, guys. <laughs> City haven't even played. And Shearer's, well, maybe, maybe it was after that. Shearer's saying, um, like, I think these guys will go on and win it. Now, that doesn't buy you anything but like in this look at the difference between the end of the city game everybody's written us off outside inside the club so of course this this was hugely deflating had we not done this against villa i think you can basically say okay well all sorts of bets on the downside are open now all sorts of bets on the upside well one bet one primary bet on the upside is way open yeah there's a there's a thing you'll hear people say all the time when it comes to high wire acts. And as a former high wire walker myself, you know, mm. this is the one piece of advice I always took. Don't look down. Mm. Don't look down. And it started to feel like we were looking down, right? Yeah. And and you lose this game. Are they going to finish behind United? Are they going to make top four? Suddenly you're right back where you don't want to be. After a season of being title, not just contenders, at times maybe favorites, no one had the appetite for let's just try to keep Champions League. I don't think the players could get up for that. I don't think the fans could get up for that. It would have been crushing, even though it would have been by far a meeting of expectations going into the season. That's not how the world works. You don't want to be looking down. And so, Tim, I don't know if I'm overstating. Oh, Paul, you want to jump in on that real quick? Yeah. So do you still have your leotard? From the tightrope walking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I did it in an Elvis suit. But, you know, everyone chooses their own their own <laughs> uh, stuff because I did it in Vegas, obviously. Um I don't know why I said that, but I just wanted to get the expression don't look down into the pod and now look at where we are. Uh, Tim, I guess like, I feel that this was existential in that respect, right? It it Mm -hmm. felt like 45 minutes that went from we're going to now get dragged into this looking down, worrying about staying top four is a collapse on narrative to, especially with the outcome of the city game, being right back there with the title in our hands. And it was always in our hands. Factually speaking, you know, it, it wasn't that wasn't going to change, but I really do think that psychologically, this shift is immense for the players to be able to really take the bull by the horns in a title race, as opposed to starting to look down and think about where you know where the bottom might be. A hundred percent. And one of my frustrations, particularly at half time, I was thinking, God, like, how have you got into this? Fu- There's so much of the season to go. And like, how have you got yourselves into the mental space where you seem to just think this is over or it's spiraling? Like, there's a long way to go. There's a lot of football to be played. We're like, not even, we're not even two thirds, I think, through the season yet. Um, And it's like, like, come on, like, it's February. Like, you can't let this happen to you in February. Otherwise, like, you're really, really, because I think the thing is what we've gone through maybe since the United game we've gone to that place where it's like, I think a lot of people started to believe 
after the United mm-hmm. game. Like, I, you know, belief has been quietly growing, but I think after that United game and that late winner and that adrenaline burst, there's a, a holy shit, we might do this. Like, I think we're going to do this. This is, and that, that, that became a very, very scary thought, I think. And I think it probably became a bit scary to the players because we crossed that threshold definitely where it's like, look, we, we've gone, we've gone past. Well, actually, fourth was kind of the aim. So even if we like drop down to the like, like we're in this race now, and and it's as simple as that. Like nothing else will suffice. Anything else is a disappointment. We have crossed that threshold now, and what we need to do is not only be comfortable about that, but be excited about it. That's what I really wanted to see from the players. What I wanted to see for the last few games, like. Be excited about this. Be excited about the fact that you're going to feel a bit, you'll feel a bit crap if you're second at the end of the season. Depending on how it all unfolds, you feel a bit crap. If we finish like third or fourth, like it's going to feel like a, I, I remember a lot of those Arsene Wenger seasons when we did finish third or fourth and it felt rubbish and the team got booed off and no one stayed for like the end of season lap of appreciation and all that. If Arsenal finish second at the end of this season, that like everyone will stay for that lap of mm-hmm. appreciation. E- even even if they blow it, even you know, even if it's like lost in the most heartbreaking way possible, just like they did last season when they blew it and lost yep. it in the most heartbreaking way possible. But if it spirals, not going to happen. And then you've got a potentially a long-term problem building into next season. And like we had to shake this monkey off the back. And I, I just really, really hope, and, and I think it's particularly val- valuable to have this week gap as well now to not have a midweek game this midweek and just be like, right, clean slate. Guys, this is the title race. You're in a really, really good position. And by the way, again, like what happened to Man City later in that day should build their belief even more. Like, okay, they're not go- we, we don't have to let them run away with it because they're not going to win every single game. Like, I think that was very important for our belief as well. So I really want them this week to be like, right, guys, get comfortable with this. Every every match day, every it like it could go either way and just like get on the roll roller coaster and relish it basically and yeah. and I, I think we enormously needed to consider this as something fun and exciting and not as as a big kind of mill around our necks yeah i, I absolutely agree with that and i i think we'll we'll start to turn towards the actual game analysis but i i, I think it's so important to look at it through that lens because a season isn't just about the tactics. It isn't just about the talent. It is about the mentality. And this is a team trying to do someone no one expect trying to do something no one expected. And when the reality hits, the reality bites sometimes. And I, I think that was happening. Now you look and you say, Gabriel Jesus isn't far away. And Thomas Party's gonna be available again. And Emil Smith Rowe was on the bench. And the team goes from strength to strength. And you know, now City's going to be playing twice a week. United, if you're even worried about them, are going to be playing twice a week and they still have to go to Anfield and have to go to Brighton and have to go to City and, or not City, um, Spurs and have to go to, they have another tough one, I think, that they go to as well. So, yeah, it, it certainly felt like a sea change, a sea change, a critical shift in where the where things were headed. But Paul, it didn't feel that way after the first half. 
I think the first half, unfortunately, just from a statistical standpoint, summarizes really what's been going on with us. 67% possession. Villa had nine final third passes. Nine. Okay? We had two shots and .14 expected goals. Two shots and .14 expected goals. Meanwhile, a long ball, and they get a great finish. A ball finds its way through Shaka's leg, gets dummied in the box, and it's a beautiful finish by Coutinho. And you're 2-1 down, despite the, the Saka screamer. And I just felt like the first half really was emblematic of what's been wrong with us. An ability to dominate possession and territory, but not an ability to turn that into dangerous possession. And the funny thing is, a lot of the players you'd stick the boot into in the first half wound up being hugely influential in the turnaround second half. Where, by the way, we, I mean, the second half stats are outrageous. We had 18 shots in the second half. Five big chances. Okay. <laughs> I mean, just a stunning number of big chances. And I mean, let's say it. It just sounds like a new Emery second half with the lead. But I'm curious, from a first half standpoint, do you have a diagnosis really for, for what was going wrong other than just more of the same? So I didn't really think it was more of the same. Uh, and... I saw this as an outlier because I think we were just very, we didn't really show up in the first half. We had possession, but it was in the midfield. What we weren't doing, we didn't have a fast start. We didn't stay attacking their third. Um, we got generated nothing on the left, absolutely nothing with Trossard, Xhaka and Zinchenko. There was no movement there. The, the one bright spark was Jorginho, Odegaard, and Saka, and a little bit of overlapping from White, and we created three, four good situations over on that side. But I just wonder if this was one of those games where you play City, uh, it was crushing, but we actually dominated the game and dominated the play, and like you could, you can say, was that City's tactic? But anyway, you come out of that game as Arsenal, and there's City adapting to our game, and us at least in principle determining the play and then you go to Villa and you expect it's going to be easy doesn't mean it's going to be an easy game and an easy result but you expect to be able to impose your play on them and you suddenly show up and they're in the mood and they're kicking and they're running around and you're like I think it's just one of those almost one of your trap games concepts now you always mm. tell me I don't know what a trap game is because I quote the wrong kind of game maybe this was <laughs> but it was this was an emotional trap game it's, it's definitely not a trap game just a heads up <laughs> but I'm not gonna I mean you're rolling so just keep going yeah, yeah but you can see how you would come into this and say oh that's really a bummer but at least we're playing Villa and it could be tough but we'll out and you show up and they're in the mood and we're kind of not, and we're not making the runs, we're not making the passes, people have been sloppy, they're all starting to look at each other, Saliba's tracking with uh, Ollie Watkins, but not quite tight enough, he didn't make that mistake for the rest of the game, he's all over Watkins, bumping him as he's receiving the ball, everything's just that little bit off, and the first half is just like, fuck, purge that from the memory bases just because mm. not just because they did us like you look at their second goal it's emmy martinez rolling it up to some guy at the base of midfield they roll it th we've got no screen uh their wing whoever's in the wing back position is unmarked nobody's near him they roll it across our goal they could have played the exact same play with none of our players on the pitch we impacted nothing and everything was half a half a yard or a yard off. Everybody was in the area but not doing anything. It was just off. And like, say what you like about us, we generate intensity, and maybe we don't capitalize it in general. 
in the final third. But we're blistering starts FC, and we weren't that. One of the tactical tweaks in this one was we play 75% of our kickouts, we launch them, and we launch and we distribute through Ramsdale, and it goes quite deep. We didn't do any of that. It, it was almost like we had Zinchenko and Jorginho dropping in to pick up the ball from the centre-backs or the goalkeeper, and we played everything through there. And that maybe that wasn't what we needed in that first half because we just struggled to build ahead of steam. In the second half, no problem, game on. We kept doing the same thing, but now we're firing, there's movement, there's dynamism, and that playing out from the back. But when you when you don't have that, might have been... The first half might have been one where, you know what, let's launch this thing up and press them because we really didn't do any pressing. So it, we just struggled to get going in the first half. And was it psychological? Like Arteta talked very clearly. Look, a disappointing loss against City. Uh, we come out here, they get a goal in the, in the first five minutes. It's 72 hours since we played. The guys are tired. They're kind of down a bit. It took a while for these guys to just wake up and wake up as a team. Mm. And the interesting thing, Tim, is that like we all hypothesize about the changes Arteta needed to make mm. to get the team working again. And he made a big call for a change, and that was Trissard for Martinelli. And the left-hand side did not look any different, <laughs> did not look any better. It's not because Trissard's not a good player. I think fundamentally the dynamic on the left side is struggling. And there's a lot of people that are going to point to a lot of players still I thought Zinchenko mm. had one of his worst halves of football for us in the first half. Turns out to be a hero in the second. So that happened for a lot of the guys. I thought Granite Shaka continued to look like he he's less comfortable in that role. And especially Trissard. Trissard likes to come inside. Zinchenko likes to stand in the half space where an eight would stand. Where's Shaka supposed to go? And ironically, for their goal, um, for the I think it's the Watkins goal. Yeah, it is. Um Shaka started trying to make a forward run. Zinchenko was out on the touchline. You never see that layout. There was a reason you don't see it. Because when Zinchenko loses it, there's no one protecting the back area. And Watkins runs in on Saliba and it all goes from there. But So for the first half, I think it's fair to say. And, and they're going to be able to point to Eddie Nketi as well, by the way, who I thought had a really poor mm. first half. Mm -hmm. So now that we've seen the Trissard start thing, and it didn't change the left-hand side, are you getting any closer to diagnosing that? Like, is this feel-good win enough to say, we're back, forget everything? Or is that first half enough to still have you saying, uh, we might still need to do some tweaks because we're not getting enough from that left side of the pitch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the the left side didn't didn't fire, um, it's mm -hmm. fair to say. I So, uh, but, like, Trossard comes on last week and scores – this week, Martinelli comes on and scores and gets an assist. And I do think there is something about um, the kind of the 65-25 split between the two of them. And probably mm. the guy that gets the 25 is going to look better. That was certainly the case. Well, to be fair, Man City in the FA Cup, they, they both played well, Trossard and Martinelli. Um, but Martinelli looked really good coming off the bench. And I think probably the reality is until we get Gabriel Jesus back, that's what it's going to be like. Like the guy who gets the first 65 minutes is kind of just going to be, 
you know, he's going to be buttering <laughs> the fullback up for for the other guy. So I, I think there definitely was a bit of that. The other thing, I, I have a slightly different take on the first half, which is like really, really um, in keeping with this game, which is very, very vibesy. I think when you've played midweek and then you go away for a 12.30 on a Saturday, and I, I watched the women's team do exactly the same thing just last mm-hmm. week. They had a hard game on the Wednesday night. They went away for a 12.30 on a Saturday. They conceded in the fourth minute and the whole first half was a write-off. When you do that, I think basically you have to just survive the first 15 minutes because you're going to be a bit crap. Like I do think it's as simple as that. I don't. I, I never expected to see our usual fast start. I just don't think it happens for whatever reason, um, and it doesn't really happen for any team. So what you want in that first fifteen, you want it to be boring, basically at best. And we conceded, and that's like that's a hell of a hole to go in. And I think at the risk of this analysis just being um, they scored, we scored, they scored. I think happened just to be fair. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think the five minutes before we equalised, I thought we were well on top. I thought we had them well pinned back. It was mainly on the right. Um, That Saka-Erdegaard partnership was really, really going, was really motoring. And when the equaliser came, you know, you get that feeling where you're like, I think Mm. we're going to score in a minute. I think we're going to score in a minute. And when it happens, you go, yeah. I like that felt like it was coming and so we did get back on top and and you're right though like the left side still wasn't really working and I'll come back to that in a minute and then it's like okay and then you reset and you go okay game's won all everything that's gone before right off the game's starting again basically from now so you, you don't like go straight back for the jugular you almost play it like the get like you're just kicking off again mm-hmm. and I think that's fine and then like their second goal, I think that's the worst we've defended a goal. I can't remember seeing a goal we've conceded this season where I've just thought, like, like that might as well have been like Mustafi, Ozil standing there with his hands on his hips, like Abamyang looking pissed off by the corner flat. Like it, it just it had a really unpleasant vibe to me. I can't explain it. The whole goal, I was just like, they've passed that from front to back, and not one of you. Has has really it's so weird. We just haven't seen that with this team. It, exactly. Think, it felt yeah. like such a surprise. It felt. I was just like, God, I can't remember the last time we. Like, obviously, we've conceded goals and we've conceded chances, and usually, like, we conceded some big chances in the second half. But I'm all right with that because the reason they hit the bar with two minutes to go is because we had everyone forward trying to win it, and that is exactly what we should be doing. And right. yeah, like. Once in a while, you might get you might get you know you might get your jaw spun doing that. But this was like, what is this? And I think that just killed the mood again. And I think what was happening on the left side was basically the ball was just taking an age and tr- to get there. And Trossard was staying very wide. And actually, when we swung the ball over, like he was in space, and he was on my side in the first side. And I kept looking at him, get like he's in space, he's in space. But it just took, particularly from. Xhaka to Trossard that just took too long that took same too thing long. with Martinelli in previous games by the way exactly. though I, I mean exa- there's so many times I'm like you know Martinelli is 
unmarked over there. Did you yeah, yeah. And when you do the rewatch, I promise you, watch. I think it happens in the first minute of the second half, how quickly the ball goes to Trossard. First thing that happens, first time we get the ball out from the back, is it might even have gone straight. It might have been Zinchenko. I forget who it was, but they whip it over to Trossard. And I was like, yeah, they've talked about that at half time. They've definitely talked about that. So I think the first half was, so, the whole game was very vibesy. First half, very, very vibesy, but the left side didn't work because the ball was just taking too long to get over there. And I think yeah. what we decided to do with the left side in the second half was even when it went out to Trossard, the go to was to swing it back to the right. So he did a few looping swings. Basically, we used the left to recycle and to move the ball up the pitch quickly and to get it back to the. Mm. We, we leaned into attacking down the right-hand side in the second half. We just moved it more quickly from side to side. Interesting point there. Uh, our leading passers in the first half were Saliba and Zinchenko. Mm. Our leading passers in the second half were Jorginho and Odegaard. And anytime when you're leading passers is Odegaard, you're going to have a better half, right? And I thought Odegaard, I mean, his miss aside, and we'll come on to it, I thought he was excellent in the second half. And you need that player to be influential for this attack to work. Um I do think Vieira came on and made a difference, and we'll talk about that as well. But, Paul, let's just spare a moment for poor Bugayo Saka, who, like, mm. is clearly one of the best players in the league. Scores another absolutely sensational goal. His strength to win Jorginho's scooped pass and create the goal mouse scramble that leads to the corner is the corner that Zinchenko scores. Um, but he's just being kicked to pieces. And I'm not trying to make this a refereeing conversation. Boring. We've been there. We've done that. It's more just there's no protection for this player at all. And I don't, I'm not saying you got to, like, you can't just send guys off for little nibbles at his ankle, but we've seen this with Arsenal players. We've seen players be run right out of the league. Um, and I, I just, I can't help but watch the way he's treated and think that it, it it could be handled better. I thought this was another masterful performance from Saka in the sense that he took the abuse, he rode the challenges, he stayed in the game, he didn't shy away from it. it you know, when you kick him, he doesn't disappear. He scores the the great goal, and I just thought his strength, getting onto balls in their half and keeping us in good position to create danger was was magnificent. He's just he's just fantastic. Yeah, he's fantastic. And he certainly had a period in this game where he was basically limping. I think on their second goal, Arteta called out that basically Saka was injured for that goal, which explains why mm -hmm. we'd no screen, why they played it through the center of us, why there was a, basically a wing back standing on his own with White wondering which one of these three bastards is he's going to cover it and why White gets done on his, on his, uh, his inside. Um, so... There's a few extenuating circumstances, but it still fits in with the first half in which we didn't seem to lend a, lay a glove on them. Uh, but they certainly kicked the shit out of Saka. But I'm probably the wrong guy to ask on this because I have a very different take because I've been, you know, there's a guy I follow who's really good on Liverpool and he saw this game and like, you can't look at this and, and not like be worried for Saka and be angry and frustrated that they're kicking the shit out of him. But when you've got a player as good as Saka, that's just how it is. If you watch YouTube highlights and type in Messi getting kicked or Maradona getting kicked, it shouldn't be. But you can only control what's in your control. And Arteta was asked yeah, about We're this. talking about a much better player here. So I think it's slightly That's different. fair. That is fair. Um, <laughs> and, 
and he's our player. And uh, Arteta was asked about it in the presser afterwards, and that's interesting. Again, not so much the words, but how they're said. And he basically says, eh, uh, if you're good, he basically says to Saka, you just got to get used to that's what's going to happen to you when you are that good. That's just the way it is. It doesn't matter if you're... But if you do give yellows for... Ye- like, like, let's go back to Wednesday. If yeah. Bernardo Silva gets yellows for cynical challenges earlier, mm-hmm. you can't kick the crap out of him as much as... You- like, it just changes things. And I do think that sending a different person to go kick him... Referees can say, hey, one, two, three, four, five, you know what I'm picking you, you're getting the, the yellow card. Like, you can... We have seen that done, and I, for some reason, it does not happen with him. And I hate I, to play the tribalism card, but like I've seen Harry Kane, get, you know, get defenders on a yellow for deigning to tackle him. Like it just, it does feel like. So, and I, I, think, I think it's because he's the sweet, nice boy who rode the inflatable unicorn. Like, there's something about his persona. That's why I love the flashpoint with Coutinho. I think it's the first time I've really seen Saka get up and go after someone, and I like that because he. He can't continue to just be the sweet little boy that, you know, who was it? One of the, one of the players interviewed, oh, if my sister brought him home, I'd be so happy. Like, nah, screw that. Yeah. He's one of the best players in the league. He needs to be refereed that way, you know? Uh, so, like, all right, I'm only halfway there. So the other half of this is, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> look, Saka steps on Moreno's ankle on 38 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This is a battle. And while you make absolutely valid points you're really asking for ref- for football to be refereed differently than it has mm-hmm. been for decades and beyond i mean it used to be far more vicious this is the good version of it so the yeah, guy follows the liverpool supporter he said he, like and he's not partisan in that sense he says that's the shit that happens to salah every week mm-hmm. if you're a wing if you're that kind of attacking winger that all the play goes around I'm sorry, you're just going to get kicked. And what was Arteta's reaction? He basically said, I'm sorry, he's just going to get kicked. Now, that's that's a whole different discussion to should he be, should we work the referees? But as supporters, there's no point. Like, we can't get super precious. We should do the things you can do as Arsenal Football Club. He said we will reach reach out to them if we see something inappropriate in brackets. He didn't see anything appropriate. This is football. He's going to get kicked. Uh, Saka has basically never been injured. He's always been kicked. So we have two things going on. We're like, oh my God, he might, he might damage himself. Well, uh, he takes a good kicking. That's the bad news. And this is what it's going to be. And we can't be precious about it. And I think what Arteta is trying to say to him and the team in general is a kind of a stoic robustness, which is, guys, let's let's just focus on being so good that they want to kick you. This is what it is. You control what you can control. This is football. The boy's going to get kicked all the time. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. And I think Arteta's very, very keen not to build like a victim complex for the team or the player. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I'm, I'm sure in private he's seething like the rest of us, but publicly and to the player he wants to present that kind of you know don't be a victim um type thing and i and i get that i totally get that i got it um, harry kane's sorry i I think harry kane's a really interesting one elliot because i think he's just playing a different game which is he's playing the common foul me and give me a free kick because i want free kicks and saka is playing a totally different game he doesn't want free kicks on the touchline where harry kane isn't harry kane's central so it's very different 
He so wants the foul on the edge of the area. Saka yep. wants to carry the ball into the area from the touchline. He doesn't want a free kick at the halfway line. Messi but, does not go down for free kicks because they're not. He's going to hurt you far more in the, his next yeah, phase of play. No, so point. there's a different yeah. thing going on there. I think. I, I think. I do think that there are yellow card fouls that aren't given to Saka, but sure. maybe, of course I do. I'm an Arsenal yeah. fan. I think like Bruno, like I said, uh, uh, Bernardo, Bernardo Silva on on Wednesday was a good example. But and sure. anyway, it's beside the point. Um, Tim, I'm going to give you the hard question here, I think. And, and then yeah. we're going to turn the ship to the second half and go over all the <clears> stuff <throat> that went really well and, and all the things to smile about again as we started with. But I have this as another game that was a little bit of a difficult one for both Eddie and Shaka. Now, mm-hmm. the irony is Eddie brilliantly, brilliantly presses and steals on 76 minutes, cuts it back to Odegaard. And if that goes in, you say, wow, how did Eddie have the gas in the tank 76 minutes in to make that press, to make that steal, to make that pass? It's perfectly executed. And by the way, his header, it's a phenomenal leap. It's the one, um, it's on 56 minutes. It's the one off the bar. He leaps beautiful. I mean, he hangs in the air. I don't think he can do much more than that. So I, I want to be cognizant, but I was looking at his stats, and this is pretty wild. Eddie Nketiah, in terms of his expected goals per 90, is right there with Jesus. I think he's a little higher even. His expected assists per 90, 0.03. Jesus, I think, is like 0.21 or something. He's one of the best forwards mm-hmm. at it. And by the way, scoring goals matters. And when Eddie scores goals, we all shut up and no one cares. And by the way, he had a massive assist opportunity in this game. So don't get me wrong. But I still do think functionally as an attack in linking play, having a focal point to shift the point of attack, one twos on the edge of the area, it's not a strong suit. And it, and, and right. that's fair. The difference, though, is Eddie is the backup striker doing the best he can in his way. Granit Xhaka is the starting left eight. So there's slightly different conversations because the question is, should our backup striker be better or should we shift our backup striker? Well, our starting striker is about to get fit again. The question of the left eight, I think, is a more pressing one in the sense because you do have a 30-year-old player playing every three days in a position that's not necessarily natural to him and, and maybe a little redundantly, if that's a word, with the guy playing left back who's standing in a lot of positions that he wants to stand in. So I'm curious, both with Eddie and Shaka, if you see those as the next areas the manager might cast his eye on, it's, I mean, it's wild. Eddie is playing 90 minutes every game. It's a lot of football for him. But Vieira is coming on for Shaka. And that at least tells you that the manager sees when I need a goal, if I need a little more attacking intent, that's a swap in my mind. I just wonder if that's a swap that might be in his mind as a swap from the start. Um, and I'm curious how you see those two positions playing out at mm. least over the next few weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you say, it, it keeps happening now. Um, mm-hmm. Jack are coming off and and that's what was happening with Trossard and Martinelli. And sure enough, yep. Trossard starts this game. So it, it, you can see the... Third game running, right? For the vieira Shaka swap, I think? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you can see the kind of the cogs turning there, definitely. Uh, like I think Xhaka is, um, you know, um, suffering with a lack of Gabriel Jesus probably as much as Martinelli has been. That whole left side doesn't work quite as well. And, you know, like the Zinchenko-Xhaka thing, that worked fine earlier in the season. It was fine that Xhaka was just ahead of Zinchenko. And, you know, I guess one of the things I've been wondering recently is like, oh, Zinchenko's having like over 100 touches per 90. And it's like, that's 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 a lot. Is that like too much? Is, is it like, but then is it just because 
those are the areas where opponents are letting us have the ball now because they're just defending their penalty area. So, I, you know, my thinking was, is Zinchenko becoming too big a figure in this team? Or is that just like, because he's like, that? His the whole point of Zinchenko is he goes into spaces. He goes into the, the places and provides overload. So, of course, like, he's always going to be dominant. And when, when we gave Spurs a good old shoeing like Zinchenko had like 90 odd touches or whatever so mm-hmm. I've been thinking about that and it's been a bit chicken or egg like the Xhaka thing yeah that's 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 got to be prime for at some point but again maybe maybe in the manager's mind it's becoming more of a 65 25 70 20 thing like mm-hmm. I want to start Xhaka there because I want to start with that structure and someone who knows the position and and if I need a goal yeah that's that's the switch I'll make like maybe he's happy with that on that basis with Eddie I mean the thing is like <laughs> we we I mean we've had this we had this conversation before he even came into the team we all kind of knew what was going to happen my, my concern more with Eddie is actually like I mean he hasn't scored since that United game and and there is a sense to which Eddie really has to score um to be of 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 ultra value and Actually, he had, I mean, like you say, I think the header, that is a self-made chance. You're right. Like he's fight. like Villa's defense is very, very big. Like he's getting up ahead of like guys like Tyrone Mings and uh, was Konza playing for them in this game? Like they've got big center backs and he, that was desire. And, and, but that's the thing. I, I, I definitely don't worry about Eddie in there. I do not worry when the cross comes into the box or whatever, he'll attack it. He'll be there. But but it is a bit more like you're right in terms of like his XG per ninety is, is really high, but he's not scoring. So like that that chance he has at two two, I'd usually the one where Odegaard plays him through. Yeah, yeah. Man, I'd that's usually a great ball. his touch takes him a little too wide, right? Like he, exactly. he wants to go around the defender and it's not on. It's, it's yeah, and and actually like like strikers are definitely taught to do that, like go across the defender because mm-hmm. then they can't touch you, and if they do, they're off. Right kind of thing but he just didn't get that touch right and that that's more when I because all of the all of the other stuff that had that doesn't happen with Eddie I kind of know about but it's like when he doesn't finish and he's had some big chances in the last couple of games that he hasn't finished that kind of worries me more not because the other stuff's not important it is and I think we really miss Gabriel Jesus and I can't wait for him to come back but I, I, I guess I worry a little bit more when Eddie's not burying the chances. Um, and, and in this game, you know, he has two quite like having done so well to win that header, he'll be disappointed um, not to have scored it. And that other chance, he'd definitely be dif- disappointed not to score. So it's kind of like if you're going to just basically be in the centre, you've got to score. Like you've got to yeah. score. And, and like, it- yeah. It's the age-old issue in a way because last, you know, I, I can think of times when people were saying, myself, we need Aubameyang playing center forward. Why is Lacazette playing center forward? The guy doesn't get in the box. The guy doesn't score. But what do you know? Lacazette did a lot of other things in the center of the park that were absolutely essential to how our, our, our attack and possession functioned. Aubameyang would go nine touches in a game, right? But two of those touches might be a goal. And you have the same sort of Eddie conundrum because I think that there's more that we can get in the center of the park but without his goals, we're not in the title race. So, you know, let's let's try to keep it in perspective. And again, the difference between the Eddie conversation and the Shaka conversation is Eddie is the backup striker. 
a backup striker is going to give you some good games, some less good games. He's going to have games where you're like, wow, he could be the starter. I mean, we're not that far removed from people saying, does Jesus walk, does Jesus walk back into the team? Like, yeah, turns out he does. But like, so, so there's going to be a little less evenness there. I think the, the starter, other thing yeah. you'd add on Eddie is that he's played basically three games in a week. He's never 90 minutes, 95 yep. minutes, flogging your guts out, chasing games. He's never played this much football at that level. Agreed. And he's going to really enjoy a week off to recharge his batteries. And then maybe we'll see some of the, a, a goal yep. or two come back at that point. But Yeah, word for Ramsdale, by the way, because I saw some people say he should have saved the Watkins goal. I Like, I just don't get that at all. Um, it's outside the radius of his body and it's hit low and hard and early. Like, I think it's a great goal. Um, I don't think he can save either of them, but he sure as hell could get beaten by Leon Bailey and doesn't. That is a sensational save. And without that save, we're not celebrating uh, wildly when uh, Emmy Martinez heads in an own goal. So we're going to turn the ship and talk about a brilliant second half and some of the performances to really celebrate and where it leaves us going forward. But... One of the things we need to talk about is how you watch the game. How do you watch match of the day? Finally, you want to watch match of the day, right? Well, if you're not in England, you can't because you can't watch match of the day. Or if you want to watch U.S. Netflix or Australian Netflix, you want to watch this, that, or the other thing. You know how you do it with a VPN. You should just be using a VPN. The fact is, with the way the internet is right now, you should be thinking about privacy. You should be thinking about you know, being secure on the internet. And you should be thinking about browsing in the region that you want to browse in. And the place to do that, the way to do that, is with NordVPN. I have been using NordVPN for a very very, very long time. Keeps what you browse private, keeps where you browse private. You want to watch Match of the Day and you're not in the UK or you want to watch US Netflix and you're not in the US, go for it. All you have to do is use nordvpn.com forward slash arsenalvision, nordvpn.com forward slash arsenalvision, and you'll get a huge discount on a two-year plan and one month free. One of the things I love, you can use it on your computer, but they have an app and the app is so easy. You literally just say what region you want to be in and it turns on. So like you can open the app, tap like, London or tap Chicago or tap Australia or you know tap wherever you want to be and it browses like you're in that region and it gives you full security privacy confidence in what you're browsing there's also a lot of protection against virus threat threat protection if there's malware being downloaded to your device um intrusions from a website that you're visiting there's just no reason right now to browse the internet without a VPN like it's crazy to, to use the internet without a VPN so go for it nordvpn.com forward slash arsenal vision again nordvpn.com forward slash arsenal vision get two-year plan uh discount on two-year plan one month free nordvpn.com forward slash arsenal vision and i think you know by now that this pons this podcast this pons cast what's a pons cast this podcast is sponsored by better help better help isn't online therapy better help is just therapy it just happens to be therapy that you can do online, which means you can be paired with a therapist that meets your needs, paired with a therapist that's a specialist in the area that you need help. It means that you can do it camera on or off. It's flexible. It's affordable. It's entirely online. It's a wonderful service because it makes it easier, less friction, less of a challenge to do something that not enough people do as someone who's done therapy, and I'm sure you're sick of hearing about it. It's crucial. It just is. I had to put my cat down. Uh, well, as I record this yesterday, by the time you're listening to this, maybe two days ago, but I had to put my cat down yesterday. His brother had died about six weeks ago. He went downhill after it. I've had those cats 18 years. That's most of my adult life. All, all, all of my adult life. I mean, <laughs> um, you know, gone and it, it's devastating. And you think I can handle it. I'm fine. And you just feel that knot 
that knot inside you needing to be untied. And therapy helps untie that knot. And like, of course, you've got your partner, you've got your friends, you've got people that care about you, but it's a therapist's job to work through these challenges with you. It doesn't have to be depression. It can be, but it could just be the challenges of life. So do it now. Go to betterhelp.com. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com. And I think it's, yeah, that's right, slash vision. Betterhelp.com slash vision. That's betterhelp, better H-E-L-P.com slash vision. Do it now. Last but not least, I promise it's last. I also promise it's not least taking care of your body with Athletic Greens AG1. AG1 is 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, adaptogens, probiotics. I mean, it's just all of it. Gut health, energy, anti-aging. You can wipe a a shelf full of vitamin gummies out of your home, save that money, save that nonsense that, I, I mean, I could tell you, like, I use that stuff, didn't make a difference. AG1, I feel the difference in gut health, in energy, vitality. You're able to use it, whatever your dietary habits, because it's keto-friendly, paleo-friendly, vegan-friendly, dairy-free, nearly sugar-free, almost no sugar in it. Put it in a cup of water, drink it in the morning, you're going to love it. It's less than $3 a day, which is basically a cup of coffee that you won't need. You can still have a cup of coffee, by the way, of course. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash vision. That's athleticgreens.com slash vision. Do it now, Tim. Is that another that? Indeed. Nailed it. There we go. Back on track. It was quite the second half. Um, and there's so, so, so many components to the second half that I think were so extraordinary. But let's just talk Jorginho for a minute. Jorginho steps up and takes his goal beautifully. It's his goal. Let's call it. It's his goal. By the way, a lovely uh, cut in from Martinelli and picks him out beautifully with a nice pass. I thought Martinelli's cameo was great. I thought Pierre's cameo was great. We'll get to that. But Tim, Jorginho is not doing the stuff off the ball yet that Thomas Party does. This is a complex system of positional football and I don't think I don't think he totally totally gets it yet. But he's such an intelligent player and you see the way he thinks his way around the pitch, the way he reads the game and makes interceptions. But he had some beautiful passes in this game. And the yep. fact of the matter is for a player who I think we were sold from Chelsea fans to somewhat is he's going to play a lot of square balls. He's going to go back to the defender a lot. I think you see that when the system is good and the players make the runs, he has the ability to play those vertical passes. I thought he was really, really good in this game again. Um, it, it's always going to be hard to warm to a Chelsea player, a longtime Chelsea player, and potentially Chelsea legend even, I don't know, um, coming into your team in the middle of the season. But we needed someone for when party wasn't available. Lo and behold, party isn't available. I don't know that anyone we would have bought in January would have come in and looked as at home doing what he's doing. So I, I think huge credit to the club for pivoting to this because they could have done nothing. They mm-hmm. absolutely could have done nothing. And we wouldn't be where we are if we had done nothing, is my view. Um, how did you rate the Jorginho performance, uh, not just the beautiful strike to win the game? Yeah, excellent. Genuinely excellent. And, uh, and, and I was saying that before the goal um, I, I thought he played really well against Man City I didn't go as big on it because no one really wants to hear after you've lost 3-1 about the defensive midfield <laughs> um, I, I, I think you're right Like the he was the one who was not passing the ball slowly um, and he's he's got he showed a real nice variety of pass in this game they were spreading it out to the flanks uh, some lovely feet in tight situations as well, like little shuffles just to get out of pressure. Even but on the first had... goal, Tim, I mean, it's mm. him spinning around the box that pushes it to White who clips it in. 
Exactly, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. And there were, there were loads of little examples like that, just a little shuffle of the feet to get him away from people. But he had the, he had those passes wide um, as well. But he also, that the sorry, the, the pass he had was that kind of, he's got that party disguised pass through the lines where his body opens out like he's going to whip it out to the right flank, but then he just like cuts it through the lines. There's loads of those as well. I, I thought he was absolutely superb. And I thought it was really, really telling how the players celebrated with him after that goal. Like, look, it's a 94th minute winning goal in a very important game. Like Attila the Hun could have scored it and like everyone would be all over him. But I, I do think it was really, really like, <clears throat> excuse me. I think, I, I, I think it really showed something the way everyone celebrated with him that, and Arteta talked this up afterwards about how he's come into the group and everyone really values him. And, you know, he was talking about, he's really added a lot. And I don't think he was just talking about on the pitch because he hadn't played that many minutes before this game, really. So, you know, it, I, I thought this was a really, really... the superpower was making other players look better. It, yes. Yeah, yeah. Which is exactly what you want from someone in that position. And I, I'm just, I'm really, really pleased with this signing because even if you absent the Elneny injury, Jorginho's a lot better than Elneny, right? He does Elneny things, but to a much higher level. Like, as far as I'm concerned... It, it might have happened, it definitely happened because of the Elneny injury, but even if it's only for 18 months, I, I suspect he'll he'll get that, that plus one and it will actually be two and a half years. But, like, we've upgraded there, um, you know, regardless of party's absence or, or whatnot. And, and I think what we're showing that we can do there is perhaps, like, protect party um, a bit more, albeit he's, he's already... A, very protected player because he doesn't really play cup games but I think there's you know there's the kind of there's the potential for rotation substitutions blah 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 like I think Jorginho is going to be a big player in this squad and that doesn't mean he's going to play 90 minutes of every game but I think he'll get minutes in most games one way or another and I think around the team around the club he's going to be a really really big player I really do and I yeah, I, I'm I'm pleased he got that moment. I'm still kind of pleased it was a Martinez own goal because let's face it, that's that's kind of funnier, um, way better. But it, <laughs> way but better. it but it was nice to have that moment and 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 for the supporters as well. Like you say, it's difficult to warm to a guy who's been at Chelsea that long. But um, just to repeat something I tweeted, and this is absolutely true. When I was coming out the ground, there was a guy in a full leg brace on crutches and he was throwing his crutches up in the air, chanting Jorginho's name. And uh, his was the name that got chanted um, at the final whistle when everyone came over. And, you know, that, that's a, that's a nice, like, okay, we, you, you've been accepted now type moment. And, and I felt he really deserved it on his, on his whole performance. Timmy certainly didn't look like an interloper in the celebrations, right? I mean, nope. Everybody seemed so happy for him, and I, I think it's just beautiful. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I was. He, well, oh, sorry, is he Tim, really Tim, a quick, Chelsea player, though? Uh, like, I, I mean, he's really well, a not sorry anymore. Napoli player. You know what I mean? <laughs> Who was yeah, yeah. stranded at Chelsea, and you know they moved away from him. He, he came back to it like we get him. We wanted him for forever. He's really that was a misunderstanding. Uh, 
Well, yada yada, his years at Chelsea. Tim, did you, did you have some there? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, I, I one of one of the it, it's kind of tragic, but also funny. Go back and look at Willian's um, goal against West Brom, which I think is his only goal for Arsenal. It's hilarious because it's like during lockdown. It's when the season's over. It's when the game's over. It's two one, and Willian clips one in the top corner, and the, the, the camera cuts to the bench, and Arteta like looks very very annoyed like he crosses his arms (laughs) as if to say yeah cheers for that mate this didn't feel like that put it that way pretty sure he did he score at fulham didn't he have a blinder of a first he had two assists against fulham okay yeah yeah yeah. um paul setting aside Jorginho, i think you know the the substitutes made made an impact both martinelli and Vieira. i i do want to say I absolutely straight fucking love Martinelli celebrating before he scores. I I just think this team needs that. I think we need to be the baddies sometimes. But if you watch that, let's let's not simplify this. First of all, the Vieira pass is brilliant. You know, I mean it you say, oh, he just has to hit it in a space, but like there's two guys, it's not a direct pass. He has to see Martinelli making the run. If you watch the burst from Martinelli to go back to front. Okay, he doesn't have to do anything hard to finish it. But that is a burst. And maybe that's because he hadn't been on the pitch 90 minutes, and maybe that's something to consider. But, you know, Martinelli obviously scores a fun goal. I mean, it's not a massive impact. He does provide the quote-unquote assist for Jorginho. I thought he looked good. But the Vieira the Vieira involvement is interesting. I thought Vieira did inject a little bit of directness and tempo and and a, a different dynamic in his cameo. What, what do you think of those two as a sub? Um, you know, and do you expect Martinelli to come right back in at Leicester? Do you think Vieira might start? What, what do you think of their appearance? Uh, Appearances. So I, yeah, I think the two very interesting subs when you contrast them with Trossard and Xhaka. Um, I can see Vieira getting a lot of these 15, 20 minutes. The thing I still think is true of Xhaka, he had a bad game. Um is that he's still a bit of a load-bearing wall on the left-hand side because Odegaard, Saka, you know, you need somebody else whose eyes are firmly on who needs to drop back beside Jorginho to cover the counter, et cetera, et cetera. And, like, he's got good good in-game intelligence, knowing where to be, knowing where we should, when we need to push forward, when we need to... Now, we didn't see that in the first half. It was very static. I thought he was actually... Quite a bit better in the second half. Still not great. He still had a couple of heavy-footed moments. But Mm. when we were spinning the ball up through midfield, he had some really nice passes out to the right wing or up through. So he came into it a bit, and you could see the Xhaka game. But when we became so possession-dominant, like if we were battering them in the second half, there's no two ways about it. Oh, yeah. And that made all sorts of sense to get Vieira on. And that was... I've been waiting for Vieira. We've seen glimpses of him or or whatever in terms of him looking like he's arrived and he's ready physically and like I thought he looked very athletic and fast and switched on and knew what we were looking to do and driving us forward and moving the ball quickly um I had suspected part of the reason Vieira came on in the first couple of sub appearances recently is because he can smack one in from outside the box when we were struggling to create this 
this was a different gig. This wasn't like bring him on late against City and hopefully he might spank one in that we maybe didn't feel we deserved at that point. Maybe we did against City at that point. But in this game, he was very much falling into the uh, Odegaard mirror, creating creating opportunities, uh, driving us forward. It wasn't just a, oh shit, we need to go from somewhere um, and pushed us on. I think the... so. He could start growing his his role and presence beyond, oh, we need to grab a goal late on. And then the Trossard one is really interesting in that I didn't think Trossard struggled in the way Martinelli has struggled recently. I, th- I thought he had a much worse game than Mar- Martinelli has had for us in recent times. M- Martinelli has the threat to run past, in behind, etc. And mm. I, I didn't see that with Trossard. I, this this role of duplicate what Martinelli does doesn't really suit Trossard. I, I like him a lot, but he needs the ability to float in into the the middle lane uh, or into the left eight position, and like he needs much more movement from the other two guys he's playing with. Martinelli, unless you double up against him, is going to kill you, and he's going to run past you, and we'll put him in behind. And I think there's just a lot more threat on the left eight and. You know, okay, he came in against harder legs when the game was in a better state for us to attack. But I definitely saw 65 minutes or whatever of Trossard getting nowhere, but uh, in that far left role. I'd much preferred to have Martinelli on the left. It was interesting uh, in the presser again. uh, Again, Arteta was right on it, but somebody asked him, uh, you know, having dropped Martinelli for this, and like Arteta's like, I didn't drop Martinelli. Mm. I'm like, he's played every game this season. He hasn't been dropped. He's played yeah. basically every minute. I've got the youngest front line uh, doing this stuff, 21 years old each. Like, he needed a break. He's, he's, not, he's not dropped, man. I, I have to say, I, I thought it was an interesting celebration for Martinelli when he scored, though, because he points to the back, you know, the name on the back of the shirt. He gave it the don't forget the name celebration, you know, just a little reminder. I'm still here, Um, which is good. Again, like the guys got so much attitude. You need attitude at the top level of the game. It's the same thing we're talking about with Saka. Let's not pretend these are nice boys. They're killers and they're out to get you. Um, Tim, I want to go through just a couple of moments and then I I do want to cover another sub thing because uh, Tommy came on for white again. I thought it was a bounce back game for white, except he does really, really poorly for their second goal. So, uh. well, let's just do that now, and we'll go to the moments. What's your take on? I thought I, I thought White had a better game, yeah. but as I said, you cannot get beaten inside that way. He gets drawn out to the touchline, then gets beaten he inside. Yeah, he gambles, and and it's a mistake. Otherwise, though, I thought he was much livelier on the ball. He's much more influential. So I have it as a bit of a bounce back game for White. But to be fair, I thought Tomiyasu did really well when he came on and he looks mm-hmm. like he's coming back into it. Now that's rich given that he was guilty of losing us the game against city. If you want to say it that way. So do you have a thought on, on right back? Cause you could say white's been a bit ropey. Tomiyasu starts against city and, and it winds up blowing up in Mikel's face, but then he comes on and looks good after white had been pretty decent um, in this game. Where's, where's your head at on the, on the right back yeah. situation right now? I felt this was much more like the last couple of weeks I've been looking at Ben White and and it's been like, yeah, you know, not bad by any means, but not not the level that I think he's been at all season. Mm. Um, whereas this, this, like on the second goal, he, he gambles and he gets it wrong. Like I think a lot of the time he gambles and gets it right. 
Yeah. And there is a part of me that's just willing to say, okay, all right, you got it wrong this time. But I know that one of the things that makes you really good is that you're proactive. You go and you try and step and you make the interception. Mm. I, I thought second half, again, he was down my side in the second half. I thought he was really strong second half. And not least because Saka, Saka basically from about the 35th minute onwards was not, was not right. And you could tell with the way he tried to connect with some shots that he was wincing when he was doing it, and he wouldn't, he couldn't quite like the way he finishes that first goal. We didn't see another shot like that because his ankle was was I think in a pretty bad place, and I think Ben White really took it down that side. And when you look at the fact that I think Saka still had a very very good half, Erdegaard had a really good like again that right pod to me looked much much better. When I take this game over the over the whole thing, I think we generated all of our threat in both halves down that side. And Ben White was a really, really big part of that. And I think one of the things is as well, I, I was in the lower tier um, for this game. So he was like much, it was all much closer to me, much I was right next to that touchline. And sometimes things really strike you when you're in the stadium about the size of a player or the shape of a player. And Ben White is... Like it, it's kind of difficult to explain, but he's like the perfect build for a defender, for a footballer, actually, mm. for an all-round footballer. Like he's really tall, and he's really lean as well. So he's got like he's got that lovely like mixture of physicality and pace, but he's also got lovely soft feet as well. Like I think sometimes you get immune to how good some of these players are in tight spaces. And that's Ben White to me, like the way he just like rolls the ball past players, the way he's able to keep it in tight situations and play those little one twos with Erdegaard and Saka and those little flicks and getting defenders off balance. He's so, so strong at that. And I think we really saw that again in this game. We saw that, you know, to borrow your word, Elliot, we saw that joy, I think back Mm -hmm. in his game. We even, there was, even one point in the second half where he tried it too much he tried to roll the ball through someone's legs for a nutmeg and it didn't quite come off mm. and, but but there, I, I remember that was right in front of me and I was a bit like I should be angry about that but I'm actually quite pleased to see you doing that because that to me says that you're like you're you're in that space and yeah like look Paul's just put it in the chat but like the, the crosses were really good you know the cross that leads to the first goal. He's, he's got that really nice kind of stand-up um, kind of cross going for him. Was, was it his cross for Inketia that hit the bar? I can't remember yep. who crossed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He also, didn't he play a really <clears throat> good ball between centre-back and full-back to, I want to say it was to Saka, and and he could, yes. Saka hit the cross. I think he hit a low hard cross instead of pulling it back and, Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 I I just felt like we got that like slightly arrogant Ben White back. I I thought he was really good, but I think you're right. I think Tommy Asu made made a difference as well. When that sub first happened, I thought, well, I think Ben White's playing really well here. But Tommy Asu, I think, if anything, was just able to give that. Okay, I can sprint at full tilt. and and maybe because it's 75 minutes in you can sprint at 95% and and so it was all fine. Yeah. It's interesting too guys. I feel like this has just been ignored. We had a World Cup. We had a World Cup in November and December. And we all knew it was going to be a big deal. And then it happened and it was a big deal and we act like it 
didn't happen. Think of the players that have struggled with form at some point in January and February. Would you say Saliba struggled with form? I'd say so. Ben White struggled with form, that's for sure. Would you say Granite Shack has not looked as good at left eight? January, February? I think so. Would you say Martinelli had a bit of a dip in his form? Bar Saka, who is not human, are players that went away to the World Cup have come back not looking as good as they did before the World Cup. It's a huge disruption in the season. It's more games. It's a shift in mentality. It's a shift in preparation. Ben White, we know, went through something with the World Cup. We'll never know exactly what it is. He's, you know, he hasn't been at his imperious best. Like, it's it, not hugely surprising that a midseason World Cup had an impact on the players that went away to the World Cup. And it's just not talked about. And I kind of find it bizarre. And I'm not using it as an excuse. It's not meant to be an excuse. It's just reality. Sometimes the reason you use something as an excuse is because it's a real thing that happened. You know what I mean, Paul? So, like, yeah. I do kind of expect to see these players come back into form a bit. But I also think for some older players, we don't have many of them, but like a Shaka, Shaka has been an ever-present at Arsenal basically since he showed up. He plays 90 minutes every game, most, most games. Like last season, I don't think he's sad at all. And then he comes back this season playing 90 minutes every game. And then he goes to a World Cup starting for his country. And then he comes back and has to start for Arsenal every three days. And he's 30. And it's like, what do you want from these players? They're not machines and we shouldn't treat them like they're machines. And it shouldn't actually be surprising that the pressure of a title challenge and playing every three days and having had a World Cup to go off to is maybe showing up in the form of some of these players. I, I It's yeah. kind of surprising to me we don't think about it that way or talk about it that much. Yeah, I don't know if you had Saliba in your list, but yeah. He was one of the first I mentioned, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and like, it's not so much the minutes, it's the headspace, right? A couple of these players didn't play that much, but it's like you, you, they keep changing your world, especially as a younger player, right? The going off to a World Cup is just going to be a huge deal. When we when we were heading into the World Cup and we were basically in pole position, everybody's saying, yeah, sure, fine. But, you know, once they come back from the World Cup, uh, it, it seemed to be like they thought Arsenal was the team that might get a little derailed by that because the youth, the this, the di disruption, just and then you get like the fast start into the Christmas period then, you know, we had a lot of games coming thick and fast like everybody else. And uh, it seemed like people were just set up for us to fade away. And we the consistency we've kept, I mean, uh, Arteta had his thing about talking about clarity in terms of our ideas. I think one of the things that's helped this team is, we've talked about this before, you could listen to us playing on the radio, hearing the names called out, and you would have an... You could close your eyes and absolutely picture who's where on the pitch and who's doing what. You might not have a clue what the other team's up to, but you're gonna. You could get out a piece of paper and sketch within a yard or two where Martinelli's going to be, where Saka's going to be, where Odegaard's going to be, where Party's going to be. Not on the pitch now. Where mm. Jorginho is going to be, and you know Jorginho plays for Party. You know where he's going to be on the pitch, and so. Um, that's nice for us listening on the radio. It's perfect for a team coming back from the World Cup, knowing what their job is and knowing knowing themselves when they're like. If you have them playing a different game each, like, did I play well? I don't know. Did I give the manager what he wanted? Well, if you're in uh, a tinker team, a Graham Potter team, where he's asking you to do something different for Brighton or who knows what's going on at Chelsea every week, probably not that easy to work out whether you're playing well unless your team's winning. Uh, these 
these players all know when they're on or off the level, when they're on or off the fitness. There's such clarity about how we play. There's such a template. Okay, a little variation from opponent to opponent, game to game, three mm. games in a week will throw you a little bit. But you have a very clear benchmark as to how you're doing. So does everybody in your team. So does the guy who's coming on for you at 70 minutes knows what you've been doing, what he needs to do to beat you, to supplement you, to complement what you've been doing. Um, I think the clarity of the way we play has been very helpful to this team, knowing where they're at and when they're falling off the pace. And like they come in the second half of this, everybody knows exactly what they weren't doing. Yeah, yeah. I, and I don't think it's out of the question that we could start to see the team get a lot better as we get people back, but also as just that World Cup gets further in the rear view and, and they're more into the Arsenal training. I think it's just going to, I think it'll start to come back. Maybe that's wishful thinking, but uh, we'll see. I I want to talk about set pieces with you, Tim, just for a second. Mm-hmm. You know, the one area where you really get to prepare for your opponent, but they get to prepare for you too is set pieces, right? Because they can look at how you approach set pieces. I think a big hallmark of our excellent start to the season was being phenomenal on set pieces, both uh, attacking and defensive set pieces, right? Offensive and defensive set pieces. That has not been the case, very much not the case in recent weeks. We conceded, mm-hmm. I think our, our last three goals we conceded before City were on set pieces. We hadn't been scoring from them. I thought this game was a nice return to some form there. Zinchenko's goal is from a nice short corner routine. We had two really good short corner routines, I think, in this game, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yep. Zinchenko's goal is brilliant, well taken, but it's a nice routine. I thought we defended corners well, too. I mean, 96th minute, they get a corner. You're thinking the worst, and it <laughs> winds up being the best. Um, but so do you have any thought on... And people are saying, you know, what happened? You know, why are we doing these short corners, things like that? Well, for forever, we were just going um, near post, right? Low and flat to the near post, trying to get a flick on. It hasn't been working. Maybe teams sorted it out. Guess what? They have video. They can watch. They can figure out that's what we're trying to do and react to it. So we varied it a little bit. Um, I, I thought this was a bit of a return to form, more defensively than an attack, but we did score for one. So on set pieces, your thought on how we handled corners and set pieces generally? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, set pieces is one of those things where like there's, or at least there has been so much variance over the years because you see like really nuts stuff. Like, you know, someone will score 10 from set pieces one season, then zero the next season or something like that. Because as you like, it's, it's, you know, set pieces are like, I mean, they're called set pieces. <laughs> they're like, they're, they're very much the only part of the game that is like not that dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That has like a sense of choreograph to it. So yeah, to have like a couple of new routines. Great. I mean, obviously we probably can't ever use them again now. That's, that's <laughs> just, you know, when you see those really clever, like very unique free kicks or something like that. Oh, what was the one in the world cup? Was it, Oh, who was it? Um, oh, uh, it was ne- Netherlands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To Veghorst, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Netherlands yeah. in like the last minute to yeah, pull yeah. that off. But Good it but like there, yeah. quite often when I see like a unique and it doesn't go in, I think, ah, oh, I feel so sorry for you because you probably put loads and loads of work into that and you can only do it once and it's got to go in <laughs> when you do it. Yeah. And yeah. so, and yeah, seeing that variance, great. But like this is where set piece coaches earn their corn, right? Because can't use those again everyone's seen them so you've got to keep coming up with new stuff you've got to keep reinventing and 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 that's where someone like Nicholas Yova will will really make their money because once people know you're good at them um then you'll keep going but I I think also what's interesting about this game is that you know a good a good like 
three of our goals are basically from the edge of the area. I mean, I guess Martinelli's is as well, but I'm not going to count that. But they're all like from the edge of the area. And we talked about <clears throat> on on recent pods just the uptick in in kind of not long-range shooting, but that shooting from around the D. And again, a big part of that would be because we've been playing deep defences. But I, you know, I think like, like Zinchenko's been taking shots and we've been talking about that but those weren't shots he was taking earlier in the season and it, and it's again it's difficult to put like Zinchenko doesn't strike me as someone who gets desperate um and so I do think that clearly they've been told not to take pot shots but like smart shots from the edge of the area where if you're playing a packed defense like a shot is as good as a cross right probably better because it's like you get a deflection somewhere you might get a rebound and one of the things hmm. if they've got nine of their players in the penalty area i mean yeah your shot could get blocked but if you get the like the right elevation on it it could deflect, it could go in, it could come to one of your players. Like, it creates a little bit of chaos, probably more than a cross, because a cross can just be headed out. Uh, or if a cross becomes deflected, I mean, what happens? It probably just flies out for a throw-in or a corner or something. So, you know, Jorginho's shot, Zinchenko's shot, both from very, very similar areas, hit in very similar ways. And I think both of those situations were manipulated where... The defence has gone right back, collapsed right back into the six-yard box, and you can see Jorginho creep into that space. I don't know how choreographed that is. Maybe it's not. Maybe Jorginho's standing there going, oh, hang on, there's a load of space. But, you know, the fact that a couple of those goals came the same way is it's not lost on me. the party scored two, two right? Yep. It was at the Spurs yep. game. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We have. You're right. We have seen it. We have seen it against those. Twice. Party's done it twice. Yeah, and and against Spurs, they said they worked on it because they were expecting Spurs to really sit back in numbers, and so having that kind of edge of the D kind of shot up your sleeve. And and by the way, when you got nine defenders in the way of the goalkeeper, maybe he sees it very late. You know, like that Zinchenko yeah. one from the corner. I mean, ideally, if that. If Emmy, you know, if that were my goalkeeper, I might ask some questions about why he doesn't get to that. But the answer is probably because he's got, you know, he's got fifteen people in front of him. So the Villa if, guy if is pulling up sweet, his sock. It's not, it's not that Tyrone Mings. It's the other fella is actually bent over when we take. It's not until Odegaard cuts it back that he looks up and says, "Oh shit, I better get out there." Yeah, um, and he runs out. And and that Zinchenko shot, it could have taken a deflection. It could have gone into the other corner. And, you know, look, the likelihood is <clears throat> it just gets blocked or it goes out for another court. But do you know what I mean? Like, you yeah. can build some pressure that way. Um, it, it's funny because we know we've heard Mikel talk about uh, influence from other sports and talk, they, he gets together and talks to coaches from other sports. There's a yeah. basketball component to this, right? Shoot from range and crash the boards, right? What do you do? You, you shoot a deep three, send your big forwards in to crash the boards and try to get the offensive rebound, get a layup. Like, if teams are going to sit super duper deep, you're never going to work a clear opening because there's so many bodies in the way. But if you fire the ball in well, not just, you know, uh, hit and hope, but if you strike the ball hard and, and accurately from the edge of the box with that number of people crashing the, the box, there's a very good likelihood that it just winds up at the feet for someone to stab home. I've seen so many Manchester City goals scored that way over the years. Um, you can't walk it in if there's seven defenders in the box, but you can have it fall to the feet of one of your players. And when Jorginho takes that shot, 
I mean, hell, two of our players are offside, and there are some people that are saying the goal should have been offside. I think it's ridiculous. But it's the point that, you know, if that deflects and falls to one of them, well, not one of the offside guys, but you know, someone else, then it then it, it could be a goal. A couple other moments I wanted to call out. One is Martinelli, by the way. Vintage, vintage Martinelli. I think it was from a, a Villa corner or something. He runs, he dribbles the entire Villa team back to front. And Enkedia, I think, does not believe Martinelli's going to find a pass, so he's sort of on his heels. And Martinelli stabs a really nice through ball. And Enkedia's just on his heels. And it wasn't a great look for Enkedia. Now, to be fair... I didn't think Martinelli was going anywhere either. You do have to stay alive to that, but a beautiful... That was just sort of vintage Martinelli. hold his run to stop going offside. And then he stopped. But I think if he'd been a little smarter, he would have slowed his run and anticipated Martinelli was going to have to wait a second to squeeze it through. It's just vintage Martinelli. And like, I'm not not using it to kill and Ketty. I just thought it was a a nice moment in the game. Um, But another big one, and Paul, this is where I think winning can also have an impact. When the team is being stressed and the team is losing, no one's going to feel more responsible for that than the captain, right? By, by the way, speaking of captains, you got to love that Granite Shaka is in the huddle celebrating the winner, which is on the opposite side of the bench, which is where Shaka was supposed to be because he had been subbed off already. But he went full kit wanker and ran all the way over and huddled up with the team, and I love it. But Odegaard is the captain. He will be feeling the pressure. It maybe is showing a bit. I thought he was really good in the second half, but my goodness, that miss is bad either strike it first time into the goal because you have the whole goal to aim at or take a touch even and pass it into the goal it's to me that's the six inches between his ears not the technical quality in his game that is feeling the pressure and i feel like this win may help him more than anybody because first of all if we don't get the win he will see that moment replayed in his head forever now he doesn't have to think about that moment again and now he may not have to feel the responsibility to lift this team out of its slump as the captain, how important do you think this win could be for him in erasing that moment and letting him just get back to playing some football and not feeling like he has to find a way to drag this team out of the out of the slump? Yeah, that would have been horrible because this could have been the game we look back on as when we kind of we stepped out of this uh, uh, theoretical t- title race. Um, you could miss any shot is the problem. Uh, what we've seen with Odegaard, I think, in his early days was he saw himself as the creator. He didn't want to be in the, necessarily in the spotlight. He didn't really get into the box that much. And obviously, Arteta's been working on him and every other attacking midfielder or midfielder to say, we need goals from all of you. And he was much more aggressive there for quite a while, taking shots uh, just to take shots at times and scoring a few goals. And I think his most natural state is as a creator and like unless he's thinking I need to take shots like if he'd been mentally in the space that it might need to be me I need might need to be taking those shots from the edge of the box I might need to bang it in but I think it was in full creator mode and suddenly it's like oh shit it's me uh uh, quick, where where's my uh, where are my cojones? Let me strap them on and bang it in the back of the net. I, I just don't think at the end of the day he's ever going to be the most kind of he ain't Bruno Fernandez in terms of his mentality, which is he'd like to score first and maybe assist just after that. He's he wants to assist three times more than he scores, and every now and then he's going to find himself in front of goal and think gulp. Um, whereas if he's if he's strapped them on, he's ready. Uh, it would have been would have been bad, but uh, seasons come down to moments and games. Um, 
to be fair, we had plenty of other chances to bury this game. We decided to leave it to make it much more exciting, much more memorable, leave it till added time. And uh, we banged in two goals in extra time. I think the second goal, on the one hand, you say maybe no great significance, but I think in some ways it very much changes the mood of how you come out of this game and how the team feels that like they absolutely took the uh, villa to the woodshed why did they leave it so late they'll ask themselves arteta asked himself that he he's like we, we should have won this much earlier than that and we really should have we absolutely battered them in the second half um, five big chances yeah. I, I think that Erdegaard chance I think it's too easy yeah. um, I, I think that's the issue I get I mean guarantee how can I guarantee you because we'll never see this timeline if you put a Villa defender in front of him I bet he scores I bet if he's got something to think about like say Tyrone Mings is bearing down on him and he's got to steer it round it like I bet he scores in that scenario or he's running onto it and you know the ball drops to hit it's just like it it's almost lit. It's not literally on a plate. There's no plate, but it's just literally like it's almost and, figuratively on a plate. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, and and you can see the thing unfolding where Eddie wins the ball, and from that moment on, you know what's happening. You're like, oh well, I've I've basically got an open goal here, and I think you kind of overthink in that, and you don't hit it instinctively. The even if just for a millisecond, the enormity of it bears down do you ever like so i'm dyspraxic right so i get this a lot like i'm walking up the stairs and i think to myself like that's an automatic action right but when you think about it you're like oh hang on one foot in front of the other and you end up like stumbling or something Mm -hmm. because you think about it whereas if you just it's like breathing you ever thought about breathing yeah 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 and you're like I'm breathing weird. Did I breathe in? Yeah, breathing yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> if, if you try and run the stairs two at a time, you'll do it in two seconds. But if you yeah. think about it, and, and I think it's just that, it's, it's too easy, basically. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I And I hope he gets many, many more too easy chances <laughs> if I had yeah. to pick. Um, yeah, and, and like I said, I just think winning the game the way we did, it takes all of that off. It, look, this is going to be a very fun, relaxed week at Colney. And the club needed it. The players needed it. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy at Leicester, although the one thing I will say is they might be the right kind of team for us because they carry a threat for sure, but, man, they do not know how to mark and defend properly. Um, Now, I I get it. United's a slightly different team because United like to counter, and that's not really what we like to do. But Leicester are not a team that can set up to be organized. Um, They're going to score on us. I'll almost guarantee it, but I... I think we have a chance to score quite a few provided that we execute in the box. And once again, you know, it really is the case. We're still doing a lot of the things right. It's execution in the box. And in the first half against Villa, they executed to perfection. Two moves that created two chances that scored two goals. And we really didn't execute to perfection. A lot of sloppiness around the box where we could have created chances and didn't. In the second half, we executed and even still missed some sitters, missed some open opportunities, still wound up getting the goals we needed. 4-2 is absolutely a representative scoreline, although who would have predicted it? Um, And oh, by the way, football's hard. Erling Holland missed sitters in the game against Forrest that like, if Eddie did, he'd get slammed. And by the way, I do have to love the tribalism of football. I saw some tweets that are like, when Erling Holland misses it, no one says anything. But if Eddie and Keddie missed these, he'd be getting slated. And I'm like, all right, guys, like hang that in the tribalism louvre, right? Because one guy's got 25 goals in the league. Um, but 
point taken. Uh, and we love Eddie because he's ours. Look, let's leave it there. I think it's going to be a fun week of, of hashtag content. We'll do rewatches. We'll do um, some other stuff that we have. I'm sure a SCAC will be back. We'll have a pod on Thursday. And um, a lot of announcements coming up as well. So a lot of good things to tell you about. And another big game ahead at Leicester, one that I'm very, very excited for. So we'll leave it there. Uh, Clive will be on a podcast in the future, no doubt. Tim's on Twitter, a Stillmanator. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. That it was too easy. It was like the Odegaard chance. I just, just kind <laughs> of ne- you nearly Martinezed it there. <laughs> I did. I did. Paul's on Twitter at positive my pants. Thank you, Paul. Woohoo! My name is Alex Smith. You can me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner. We love you so so much, and we will talk to you after Arsenal ten. Lester new. No.